1: I just love it when the bloom of romance turns into something unusual.
0: (laughs) I know. Isn't this a cool story? I'm not sure if I believe it, though, okay? I think uh I'm I don't know this just doesn't seem plausible to me. Oh, it
1: seems entirely well, plausible to me. <laughs> well,
0: how did they so this must be an aircraft with uh with the air air uh the uh engine at the back? I mean, how did they Okay, I'm reading here's the story. The story is from uh in the news.co.uk. It's a uh uh, a British uh, news website: Bride's bouquet causes plane crash. All right, an unusual wedding spectacle has gone horribly wrong. And by the way, I don't think it went horribly wrong. All right, but uh, uh, they said it went horribly wrong in northern hey, Italy. Hey, if you
1: were counting on catching that bouquet, baby, it I went horribly wrong, causing
0: the wrong. plane well, to crash into a hostel. Uh, the according to reports from uh, oh Corriere della Sera news agency in Italy, the happy couple had organized for a plane to fly over the congregation and drop the bridal bouquet to a line of female guests. It's believed when the flowers were thrown from the plane, they were sucked into the engine, causing it to catch fire and explode. The traditional throwing of the bouquet nearly ended in a complete disaster when the aircraft nosedived into a hostel containing around 50 people. However, only the person on the plane who threw the bouquet is believed to have been injured. Uh, a- a passenger who flew through the flowers reported to be uh, Isidoro Pensiero, 44, was taken to the hospital with serious injuries, including a head injury. All right, so that part's horrible. That part is horribly wrong. Um, yes. But uh pilot named Luciana Nanelli was unharmed in the incident, which took place over the wedding reception uh, in Suvereto. In northern Su- Italy. All right, so... That's a
1: Suveretto.
0: Suveretto. So how suveretto. in the world, how did the... Well,
1: it's obviously a pusher, man. Well, I mean, it's it, got to uh, be a
0: pusher. I guess. Yeah,
1: and yeah. and Italy Italy makes some pusher LSA category type aircraft. Oh, so. All right,
0: okay. So... Uh,
1: yeah, this didn't... Uh, now, how it got sucked into the engine and exploded, uh, or made the engine catch fire and explode—that uh, must have been a hell of a bouquet. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know. That, Yeah, or, or I, something else. But I, I, I tend to, to well, there's two things in here. I doubt. Um, the main, you know, I, why is every every accident uh, story? Say that the airplane nose died. Oh, yeah.
0: okay.
2: <laughs> uh, wh- what is up with that? Uh, uh, you it's, know, a good it's like it's, it's moving. It's moving along horizontally, and all of a sudden, the pilot decides forty-five degrees down is the appropriate attitude, and. I, I don't get it, but
0: all it takes is a flower, and the
2: thing
1: is going to hit the ground. If the guy was on fire, I guarantee you, I'd be hustling my butt to the ground.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh
1: huh. Red line, oh. not be, you know, red line, be damned. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's this. This is also true. You know, hopefully, this is the worst thing that will happen in this in this uh, uh, this marriage, but I don't think so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and you know, and if this was a. a, a, a a wedding bouquet of such substance, as to get sucked into an engine inlet and somehow disable the engine to the point of uh, of becoming inflamed. Uh, it probably, you know, some some young thing on the ground who should be glad that she didn't catch that bouquet because that could have really hurt. Well,
2: there's there's that. The question, of course, then, did they do something else to celebrate the throwing of the bouquet?
1: Maybe it, that's, throwing that's, the groom that's a good or something. Question. Well it struck me know. as really unusual. Usually when you read about injuries at weddings, uh either yeah. it involves a fight over the throne bouquet or a fight between the best man and the and and the groom over something that got said about the new bride. Uh, right.
0: <laughs> okay. Now does this happen very often, people getting married in airplanes? I mean like or, or have, Well, I guess this wasn't getting married in the airplane. This was just...
2: Yeah, this uh, wasn't getting married in the airplane. No, this is,
0: but, to my well,
2: knowledge, it doesn't see, happen that often. Yeah. In,
1: my, in, my, in my, my time in aviation, I've been present uh, and witness to a couple getting married in the basket of a tethered hot air balloon 50 okay. feet off the ground. Uh, a wedding at an air show where the preacher skydived in. Okay. Uh, a wedding at a at a country airport where the bride and groom skydived in with the preacher. Uh, one where the bride and groom skydived in and the preacher was standing there saying, I'm not in that big a hurry to see heaven. Uh, he was funny. Uh, let's see. A couple of hangar weddings. A couple of weddings on the launch site of hang gliding sites. Uh, and saw video but wasn't present for... A wedding where the couple was in an aircraft and the preacher radioed the vows up over the uh unicom.
0: Okay. Hmm. Didn't we didn't we talk about a story a long time ago where they were gonna do wing walking? They were gonna like get married from wing walking or something like that? Was
2: that? that was the wing walking episode. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe we shouldn't go back. We, we need, maybe we should, we need to do another them. one of those someday. <laughs>
2: yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe we should go, go there. Okay. No, I, I, I don't think it's appropriate. In the
1: meantime, yeah, in hey. the meantime, nobody's bringing any wedding bouquets on any airplane I'm operating. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Well, and and no one's throwing anything out of any airplane I'm operating. There you go. Uh, uh, that's uh, a
0: different uh, question. Pa-
2: pilot rated <laughs> passengers opening the window across from me without telling me <laughs> it. Not with
0: hey welcome folks to episode 144 of uncontrolled airspace the general aviation podcast We're recording this episode on uh, wednesday Ooh, is it? it's wednesday july 15th i think 2009 right. Right. and uh... joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, my good friends uh, jeb burnside who's talking to us from uh, somewhere near sarasota florida hi jeb how are you I'm spiffy. How about yourself? (laughs) Uh, I'm okay. I'll tell you more about that in a bit. Talking to us
1: from an undisclosed hangar.
2: An undisclosed location, an undisclosed hangar somewhere um, not in Sarasota City, uh, city limits uh, in Florida.
0: So how's the weather? Did the weather cleared up where you are? Well, cl- define cleared up. Um, well, you know, I mean, I understand that it was like like really overcast and and a lot of rain for a while there. Has it returned to normal? Well, yeah, afternoon? a couple a
2: couple of weeks ago, I think I was complaining that you know we'd seen nothing but rain and and this kind of wow. thing. That's that's definitely gone by the wayside. Is we're definitely in the summer. Um, that said, you know, today was rather hot, um, but uh, some storms have moved through and some and things have cooled down. I managed to. Uh, miss all the storms on the way home, so I got home dry. Um, it, it's, it's really been not that bad, uh, all things considered.
0: I, yeah. I saw a stat the other day that described the sort of Tampa Orlando corridor as being like the lightning capital of America or something like that. I mean, lightning num, in terms of number of lightning strikes or something like I that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, uh, the the, the uh, local weather forecast last week when I was in Orlando, um, I saw a weather forecaster who actually, as part of the weather report, told people how many lightning strikes there had been that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as if they were able to get a good count on them, which I don't know. Maybe they can, but uh, um, so. Well,
1: I mean, you know, it, it, the, the the antennas and tall towers and 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 water tower structures and all that stuff that 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 scattered across that corridor, you know, it's like seeds blew down from the Midwest and multiplied far more than they ever did up here.
0: So, like, uh, like global <laughs> warming, you're telling me this is human induced? This whole thing, this whole statistic, right? That other voice out there is Dave Higdon, who's joining us uh, from Wichita, Kansas. How are you, David?
1: Oh, man, finer and frog hair. Uh-huh. We had uh, we had uh, some really unusually humid and, and warm days. You know, the weathermen talking about heat warnings and all that stuff. Uh, and then off and on today, we've had little, uh, little boomer weather come through, and right now it's a soft drizzle. The weather just moved through, and uh, it's cool cool enough that uh, the air conditioner isn't going <gasps> and uh t- 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 very pleasant uh good bit of air traffic over the house today too uh, really For
0: some particular reason or just
1: i don't know uh I, I, you know uh god with the way the airplane factories have cut back around here there's far less production flight test traffic uh here than there was 6 months ago or a year ago mm-hmm. uh I don't know whether it was just a, a, a propensity of people passing through. Uh, you know, the, the Wichita VOR is on a big corridor. A lot of people come through this part of the world on their way to uh, Albuquerque and, and uh, Phoenix and Points West. And uh, I don't know. It just kind of stu- st- stood out that I was hearing more more six-cylinder uh, Continentals and four-cylinder likes than usual.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I, just, I just had a four-cylinder light go over my head. So. It's, I know you do. You'd have that have time there. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and uh, I am talking to you from the Dolphin Hotel in Walt Disney World, Florida. Still down here on my business trip. I moved from uh, Orlando proper, uh, where I was last week, down here to uh, Walt Disney World, and uh, we're working on a uh
1: Wow, those mice give good internet. They do, do, yeah.
0: Time will tell. It's it's not the best in the world, but uh, it's doing okay so far, so uh, knock on wood. It uh, sounded
1: better than last week
0: yeah well it is better than last week but that's not saying very much um, this one uh, I actually upgraded they give you two levels you can you get the the sort of a, a, this like a, a really bad internet service that comes with the room no extra charge and then for another five dollars a day you get the kind of uh, you know mediocre um, internet connection and so this morning for this particular day I upgraded to the mediocre I, I'm sorry I'm being I'm being dismissive this is a nice hotel this is a very nice <laughs> hotel um and as hotel internet goes it's not the best but it's far from the worst oh
1: man you're you're doing a great job working up to asking for that upgrade way to go i know
0: anyways so uh i've been down here and i've been i've been uh, i've been in florida for over a week i've been here at disney world for uh whatever it is four or five days now and uh uh you know it's and and it is hot here uh the rain did stop, and that's what prompt was prompting me to talk to Jeff oh, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. um it it the the weather pattern converted from being you know kind of overcast rainy system rain to the normal daily you know thunder showers going through the area and sometimes yeah. overhead and uh uh and it's been hot and humid, it's like Florida i guess um. It's nice. It's, uh, but I'm hardly outdoors. I'm, I spend almost all day long in, inside in the air conditioning. Um, although, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk about last night, uh, the event that I'm uh, working on here had its, uh, its sort of big evening out party where the entire gang went over to have dinner at Epcot Center. And, uh, and then after dinner we had the run of the park and, uh, got a chance oh, to Oh, very some- cool. I yeah, love I got- those. Yeah, we got a chance to see the fireworks and uh, and go on a couple of rides and just kind of you know uh, see all the folks. Um, I so went did on a you ride. do the soaring? I did do the soaring, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Uh, this is cool. a, a ride that's new to me. I don't know how new it is. The last time I've been to a Disney property was ten years ago, so a lot of things have had a chance to change. Um, this is one of them. It's a ride called Soarin' or so- you know, Soaring, but they've they've, uh, they've chopped off the G. Soarin'. soarin'. Yeah, we all um, go soaring. And the sort of uh the the, the sort of storyline is that uh, there's an airline that's based on hang gliders basically. And they and they you know you have a row of seats hanging from a big hang glider wing and you go and you know and they kinda try and they, they couch no the kidding. whole thing. They couch the whole thing in this in sort of airline terms, you know, like there's a flight attendant who helps you get seated and um they talk about departure times and so forth and so on. And then what they do is uh they they so they, they seat you in this in this row of seats. Um, that's attached to a big uh, motion simulator arm, and they lift you up. You know, so you're down on the floor on the deck when when you're actually getting seated, and then you're lifted up, sort of roughly centered in uh, what is basically a big IMAX screen, so hmm. that you've got basically you know 180 degree view what? left, right, and up and down of uh, of what's what's in front of you. And then they take you sh- they take you flying, and they have shot some really cool you know presumably helicopter footage um, of this of of the flying in this and they and then they, they add to the uh, the experience by having the motion control of the of the thing you're sitting on so I get you get a little bit of motion there with the G's and you know leaning back and leaning forward and whatnot um, the other thing they do that's interesting is that there's sort of a uh, just above your your sight line there's a there's a bar uh, on this on this thing you're sitting on and and there are vents there that blow air in your face so you actually feel the air blowing across you as if you really are flying out in the open I mean you're just right. hanging right out in the open so
1: you get all the you get all the aromas that you'd get as you fly over these
0: places. You, you literally get the aromas. They actually, hmm. in a couple of places, wow. they put scents into the air. So when you're flying through the redwoods, you get a little bit of a kind of a of a, of a wood woodsy scent, you know and. Uh, um, Usually and, when I'm flying, I have no sense. Yeah. So uh,
2: the coolest oh, part... Oh, I am
1: so going to step on the opportunity there yeah, and just, say, just, no, that's control just Control
2: yourself.
0: Just control yourself.
2: Um, i, I got to throw a softball out every now and
0: then. I know. I know. <laughs> the... Uh, one of the neat parts of this ride um is that uh, they fly very low in many places and you know i mean it, genuinely the aircraft that was shooting the footage was flying very low and then they add to the simulation to make you feel like you're like skimming over the tops of, tr- of ridge lines and down right along the the uh, the water of a of a uh, uh okay uh, This is a river that's got kayakers on it, you know, and you literally feel like you're about to drag your feet in the water. I mean, it's very, very effective. This is uh, the
1: first time since my kids were my grandkids' age that I've kind of said back and go, you know, I'm going to be in the area in uh, October, and boy, I'd really like to do this.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it, and um so I recommend it, uh, Soren. It's at, it's at, at, it's at Epcot Center here in, in Florida. I understand that it's also at the, uh, what do they call it? The California Adventure, which is the park that's next to Disneyland out in Anaheim. Um so depending on what coast you're on, you can, you can get access to this thing. So it was fun. I enjoyed it. Sounds, I was, sounds fun. Yeah, you know, and I was a little worried going into it. I was worried that they were going to have a, a blatantly unrealistic flight experience to give, give it unrealistic thrills and thus make it a scary kind of thing and turn people off from aviation. And they didn't do that at all. Um, although it was unrealistic in the sense that you, we flew very low and skimmed across things, um, it, it wasn't, um, you know, frighteningly unrealistic. It really did give you a sense it, of It injury. was
1: unrealistic in that you could thermal and climb away from yeah, the gold gate.
0: It definitely communicated, you know, the, the joy of flight. I mean, it was really... Well, then
1: it sounds like it communicated a lot of the physical experience of, uh, of, yeah. of soaring a hang glider. Yeah. even if the even if the performance and locations might not meet real world right. sounds like the rest of it was really uh the
0: experience there was one moment where it was all of- uh sites around uh California uh, you know so there was like over monterey okay. and up in the redwoods, and one of them was at uh was at Yosemite, and they actually had us flying right towards the big uh what's the big waterfall there at, at Yosemite i can only angel I, falls I mean, uh is that what it's called? But it, the, the, the big, tall, signature waterfall at uh, Yosemite. And so we're like soaring straight at this rock face. And sort of towards the you know at the last minute, we kind of bank off to the right. And as we bank off to the right, suddenly a guy in a conventional hang glider swoops in in front of us. I mean, it's all on the video, of course, but he yeah, swoops yeah. in in front of us, you know, and he's like soaring right in front of us, you know, and we're like almost catching up with him. And then after a few seconds, he kind of disappears underneath us, you know, and we kind of go over him and continue on at another moment moment we're flying across the desert and we're kind of skimming across these these rocky you know ridge lines and as we're skimming across the desert all of a sudden uh, off from the right the uh, the thunderbirds appear all right in a five ship formation and they go zooming right in front of us and they do this kind of you know uh uh what do they call it the the break where they all go in different directions uh, right in front of us and go swooping up and i'm you know i'm thinking okay this is kind of fun but we'd be in, that's not real <laughs> that doesn't
1: happen and, uh, and before anybody you know uh goes mouse clicking. I'm I'm wrong. Angel Falls is in South America. Yeah, I, I should that know movie. that. We saw the movie up. Uh, that's mm-hmm. why I guess it popped into my brain. Yeah.
0: So uh, so that was a lot of fun. I recommend it. Um, and uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for Disney World. Anyways, I love all this stuff. And uh, um, but uh, that was a that was a fun ride and uh, highly recommended. Hmm. It sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's huh. see now. What else is going on here? We've got a special friend we're going to invite into the hangar in a few minutes here, but let's see if we can squeeze one more story in here before, we, uh, we, uh, before he arrives. Uh, what have I got here? Um, I found this story on AvWeb. For backcountry pilots, a new place to stay. Sounded like kind of cool. Pilots who are ready to get out and explore the western US this summer will find a warm welcome in Bozeman Montana thanks to the folks at the Recreational Aviation Foundation uh volunteers have built a, a new pilot shelter on land donated by Gallatin 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 field, Gall- 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 Gallatin Gallatin. field. it's uh a Bravo Zulu November, uh, with a bath and shower facilities, lots of green grass, a barbecue pit tie-downs, pilots are welcome to stop by for lunch or to camp overnight. The quote here from... Uh uh, John McKenna of the uh, Foundation, he says it's a free facility and a wonderful aviation amenity uh, so that really sounds cool I, I, that should... is very cool, that, that's like yeah. a, a rest stop for uh, pilots for airplanes, I know, yeah, that's, yeah. I, think, uh, yeah. That, I hope that turns in. I mean has, have you heard of this kind of thing other places around the country?
2: no, I haven't, not, not um, sort of not on a on an uh, existing airport not, mm-hmm. on a, not an airport with a three letter identifier, let's put it that
1: way Okay. Uh-huh. Uh Lee Bottom Airport, which which I've mentioned before here. Uh in uh it's near uh Hanover, Indiana. Uh, I mean like just a few hundred feet from the Ohio River, uh southern Indiana. Uh they they grass strip and they've got open camping and cabins that you can uh that right. you can uh use uh and uh showers and bath, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they you do. Know, they not got a much little... of the latter,
0: right? Yeah, they uh, um, they just recently had one of their uh, we, uh, monthly uh, fly-in things. Uh, I think this past weekend.
1: Uh, yeah, Sinful Sunday they call it. They do right. that three times during the summer. It's an yeah. ice cream social
0: listener uh listener Navion pilot uh posted some cool pictures in the forum i don't know if you had a chance to see them yet but uh he uh he was there this past weekend and uh, posted a bunch of pictures of uh, both uh-huh. from the air and on the ground of that of this particular uh, past sunday's uh, fly in it's uh, it is pretty cool well we should encourage people to do more of this i mean more airports should have this kind of a you know, and then we should all take advantage of it, so that it, I was going
1: it, to say the it, it, the the payoff encouragement should be to the folks to use it,
0: mm-hmm, yeah.
1: because in using it, you know, these things become uh, recognized for their value, for mm-hmm, the assets yeah. that they are. If they're developed and they sit there and they go to waste and nobody ever uses them, and then they turn into the subject of CBS stories.
0: Oh, oh, oh it's a segue, huh? It's a segue. Alright, well let's jump into this one quickly so that we don't squander too much of our time on it. This will be motivated to, to, uh, to move along here. Uh, so, this is the story that was just on uh, c b s news What program was it on anyways it was on uh, I, I believe it was on their evening news program yeah
2: yeah and and it might have been on their morning uh, program also i my Tuesday morning, my pool guy comes in and i 'm i 'm sitting out there we 're talking and he's he starts ranting and raving about um, all the stimulus money. Going to small airports, non-commercial airports. I said, what, are you, what in the world are you talking about? And he said, well, I saw this thing on television. And I'm like, well, of course, you know, everything you see on television is I'm 110% accurate. Yeah. And, and, I, and I said, you know, most of this, I, I don't know what story you're talking about, but most of this money comes from, you know, a dedicated trust fund. Uh, that's paid for by taxes on on tickets and, and fuel. And he, he you know, in the middle of this conversation cuts me off and says, oh, no, 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 this is all stimulus money. It's all stimulus money. Our our grandchildren are going to have to pay this back. And I just discreetly changed the subject because it wasn't worth,
1: you know, arguing with him about it. But, but what he that's, was referring the to,
2: folderol, that's the kind of folder That's the kind of
1: folder I do hope you that, cut off his Kool-Aid at that point.
2: Well, he and I will have that conversation later on. But... Uh, uh, that 's the kind of impact that this story's having out there
1: yeah well i got I got I gotta, you know uh, as, as as a guy who used to work in that market like Jeb did uh, in d c where of course the, all the important stories come from mm. uh, it was nice to see that they got out of town to uh, actually find somebody to smear uh, and I used to expect and, and and trust so much more the the work output of Journalist at CBS, but in uh, listening to this and reading the transcript, this is really came off as snide, smart-ass, mm-hmm. We know mm-hmm. so much better, and and, and uh, yeah, we were offered help to further analyze and understand this, but we 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 didn't need that because we understood it exactly the way we wanted to.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think this story is, strictly speaking, inaccurate. I bet that it is factually correct. Well, it, is it was spun and presented in a very, very okay. misleading way, yeah.
1: But it is is—it is so slanted, yeah. uh, partly by presentation, partly by omission. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't mention at all that, uh, that a lot of communities depend on small airports, even private airports. Yeah. And, and so you get down to the last paragraph, and it's, a, oh, by the way, these are actually open to the public. Anybody can use them, but that's not important. Right. That's not well, important. Yeah, yeah. The public service they provide, that's not important. What's important yeah. is we're incensed. Yeah. We're yeah, incensed. The- you should be incensed. You know, okay, uh, to Cheryl Atkinson and CBS, uh, my hairy butts in Wichita, anytime, come over and bite me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff. How are you going to follow that? D- <laughs>
2: don't, don't sugarcoat it, Dave. Give it to us straight. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to top that. I'm not going to try. Um, but I would. Well, you they know...
1: disrespect my profession. Yeah. Jeff, you still they there? Disrespect my profession. Yeah,
2: I, I'm still here. I, I'm just trying to figure out if Dave's finished.
1: Yeah. No, you know he's not finished. I'm you done. Just... I'm sorry. I'm okay.
2: Done. okay. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things, and we've we've used these arguments before. Um, the analogy that uh, the the community airport is the same as an interstate off ramp. Um, that um, you know, and, 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 you know, a mile of pavement will get you a mile. A mile of runway will get you anywhere. Um, things like this, and it's, it's just a hatchet job, and and it's it's probably uh, a partisan political. It's probably um, um, yeah. it, it, it's 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 the the uh, the the factoid du jour, the 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 focus, the target focus du jour, and it's all of a piece, going all the way back to last year when the big three automakers flew their own uh, individual airplanes to Washington right. from Detroit right. to testify I mean, and try to get more money. It, no it's, it's all fruit of that same poison tree.
0: Well, and, and more than that, and I have no inside information, my personal view is that this has ATA's fingerprints all over it. Um, well, you know, I, think I think there's ATA, I, I ATA PR people <laughs> quietly <laughs> encouraging these kinds of stories left and right, all right, um, because it's all about undercutting GA uh, and, uh, you know.
1: I hate, I'm, I'm going to hate myself in the morning for saying this. Yeah. But, but I think that they're doing some of this stuff because they feel like they're not getting enough of the Fox News demographic.
2: Well, and just I think guy. you
0: should mention Fox News. I think News. that's a
2: lot of it. But, but me, before we leave this, uh, that's I, I don't disagree with you, Jack, on one level. Um, but I think uh, that gives ATA a lot more credit than they've earned over the years. Um, they've they've right now. Never, I think they've never, just,
1: never underestimate the 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 weight of a comment made over an otherwise casual lunch. Yeah. Yeah, on a topic totally unrelated to what's really supposed to be important to you. I know. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I uh, I swore off ABC back in 1983, ABC News, and things like 2020, right. after being present at the creation of a hatchet job against ultralights where the uh, uh, the producer and the talent rejected any input that disagreed or or went against their preconceived notion. They cut the story accordingly. Uh, When we approached them about what happened to the balance they promised, they said, oh, we were providing balance against the National Geographic story that we thought was overly mushy. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, so, you know, the umpteen million people that watch your show that don't read National Geographic, uh, they got balance from what? Yeah, Uh, yeah. And it was yeah. it was designed from the beginning. It was designed from the beginning and caught the on-air talent after being present for his interview with John Baker, the head of AOPA. Uh, he kept asking these gotcha questions, and John kept answering his way out of them. Mm-hmm. So after the interview was done, and John Baker, then the president of AOPA, d- departed the, the, the conference room where this went on, this guy sitting over to the side writing new questions and then sat down in his seat to do what they call the cutaways. That's where the camera moves to the other side of the guy and gets uh, to people asking
2: questions,
1: nodding knowingly. And the son of a bitch started asking questions to make the answers wrong for uh-huh. us, questions that he never asked on camera, that he never put to John personally, directly. They were new questions so that the answers would be damning instead of, 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 uh, of affirmative. And we caught him. We pointed it out to him. We pointed it out to his producer. Uh, we telegraphed and phoned the, the network proper. And the result was none of the interview with John Baker made it into the segment. Yeah. They well, just axed him all together.
0: Yeah. Hey, listen, we got to move on here. Just wandering into the virtual hangar this uh, this evening, uh, we're really pleased to have visit us, uh, an old friend of the podcast, uh, not a first time, he's been uh, with us uh, in the virtual hangar before, but uh, Alan Klapmeyer is here. Alan, uh, of course, the co-founder of Cirrus Design, who currently serves as its chairman of the board. Hi, Alan, how are you doing this evening?
3: Very good, how are you guys?
0: We're doing real well, so uh, so where are you? We like to kind of set the scene. you know We're all this distributed uh, hangar we've got here, uh, and we talk about where we're all located are you where are you Where are you this evening
3: well I, I'm actually in the southeast this evening. I've been spending a lot of time traveling around the country, um, from California to the mountain states up to the northeast down to the southeast. this evening, I'm in the southeast.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right.
3: looking for a place with a good cell phone signal. One yeah. one of those <laughs> those remaining pieces we have to fix in aviation is make sure we have good cell phone reception in the airplane. Think how much more productive we could be. There you go.
1: How are you making this? How are you making this zigzag uh, cruise around the country? What are you using for transportation? Well, it's
3: interesting that you should ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course, I I, mean, I really do only travel uh, by. Cirrus, basically. I've got an a SR-22 turbo uh, that I've had for a number of years, and it, and it really is the only way I travel. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really is, and we talk a lot about this at, at Cirrus and, and around the industry, about you know really the change in utility, the effective transportation that light aircraft continue to be and evolve into even more and more effective tools of transportation. Yeah. There's almost—I don't know if you guys have heard of uh, Duluth, Minnesota. You know, it's kind of far north there, where the Once snow or seldom. Twice. Yeah, yeah. you've yeah. heard yeah. Of that place? on the Weather yeah. Channel, right? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. The yeah. I really don't don't get... they have
1: a snow festival or something like that?
3: Well, we we try and have that, yeah, yeah, several times. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but seriously, I I can get from Duluth to just about any place in the country huh? in my twenty-two faster than I can on the airlines. Sure. And that's because, you know, we, we would need to change airplanes uh, on the airlines uh, in either Minneapolis or Detroit. And by the time you put in security lines and changing airplanes and ramp holds and all those kinds of things, uh, 200 knots piston airplane will get you just about anywhere.
2: That's right. Uh, when I was living in the, in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, it was a no-brainer. Anywhere east of the Mississippi... Uh, and a lot of places west of the Mississippi, uh, I could easily beat the airlines, and that 's going in point on average headwind
3: and that also includes not not just that it's it 's it's effective from a time point of view but also it 's just more relaxing i mean you know, sure. first of all, I love to fly, but when i 'm flying you know there 's a decision making process and and so on but i don 't have uh, what would be the polite way to say it um, The hassle factor. Difficult customer service. Hassle factor, yes. I would say difficult customer service representatives that I have to work with Mm -hmm. in uh, some airlines and some airport uh, situations. And other passengers and the person behind you who is bumping your seat and the person in front of you who is reclining their seat. Mm -hmm. This just is is so much more comfortable and so much less stress that, frankly, I love it.
2: Well, I, you know, I've, I've been having a conversation with a, a close friend of mine who's uh, both an airline captain and, and uh, involved in uh, um, some of the ongoing efforts to revamp the uh, uh, fatigue and crew rest rules. And one of the things that he and I have been discussing, and he's been discussing with other people in the industry, is this um, the commuting issue, where um, yeah. taking taking the Buffalo uh, Dash Eight. Uh, tragedy, for example, I think the first officer on that flight was domiciled at JFK or Boston, one of the two, but in fact lived in Seattle, and she had she had I think flown um, uh, on the airlines from Seattle to uh, New York and uh, as as deadhead and then started flying um, the segment that uh, that they crashed on, and we all know how stressful. Uh, just being of self-loading a piece of self-loading cargo on an airliner is.
3: Mm-hmm, uh, right. It, it's it's
2: a no-brainer, but
3: uh, I don't know. Yeah, and and when you think about how uh, kind of traditionally uh, people have looked at the quote stress of being a pilot, they mm-hmm. think that being up in the front left seat is the stressful time. When obviously right. it's not. Um, no. That's not the hours that count. If you're flying yourself, obviously. That, that you know those those periods of concentration start in pre-flight planning, as opposed to when you started the engine. And right. FAA, NTSB, safety organizations, uh, operational groups, aircraft manufacturers—we're all changing how we look at what it really takes to fly safely. And you're right; from the airline's point of view, they got to completely rethink what it means to be mm-hmm. operational. And exactly. sitting behind the controls of the airplane in cruise at altitude is probably the least stressful time there is.
2: <laughs> I, I agree. I agree yeah. completely. Um, all the all and, and for me, in, when I'm in the airplane, it's not stressful at all, unless uh, you know I'm, I'm dealing with a mechanical or I'm dealing with weather or or something like that. That's to me relaxing. Um, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the autopilot the yeah. is doing a lot of the work, but even if it wasn't. Um, uh, it, it's still more relaxing. It's the the stress of getting driving to the airport, dealing with the FBO if if, if I'm if I'm a uh, transient, uh, loading the airplane, um, you know, just all of, all the other rigmarole. That's more stressful than actually getting in and launching.
1: And it, mm-hmm. it used right. to be um, it used to amaze me how you know the morning I'd, I'm going to fly, I wake up and I've got this tiny knot in my stomach that just seems to. Grow gradually, all day long, like a miniature blob in a sci-fi movie, and then you fold the wheels into the well on climb out, turn on heading, and boom—you know the hero wins, the blob disappears, and from there and from there until you know short final, it's kind of like this is cool. I'm going to sit back, I'm going to enjoy the ride, I'm going to watch the scenery, even if the scenery is only the inside of an eggshell. Right. I got yep people to yep. talk to get to listen to the other nummies on the frequency this is fun
3: yeah <laughs> actually i spend a lot of time listening to xm radio because i yeah. um as people have heard me say i i don't fly ifr unless it's imc if it's a if it's a vmc day i'm vfr um uh-huh. and i want to be looking out the window and enjoying the flight and listening to music and and uh, I don't believe that those interfere with my decision-making capabilities in case something's going wrong. But uh, yeah. it really is very relaxing to me,
0: yeah. as no, is, I, of I course, f- the other
3: kind of flying, which is tail draggers on a grass runway, you know, uh-huh. flying 15 uh-huh. miles instead of 1,500. I love that, too.
2: You're talking about, talking about XM radio really quickly. You know, I, I have found that it it's really uh, keeps me awake. It keeps me more in the loop, when I'm flying alone, or even yeah, when I'm flying man, with I, passengers, I, I then, can't tell then, you how uh, easy
1: it is for this guy to fall asleep at the yoke. <laughs> uh, we, we, we'll, we'll cut we'll that, that part that's a out. Bad idea. Yeah,
2: yeah, we'll, we'll we'll cut that part out. But yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there, there have been a lot of times where you know it's a bit, it's been a long day, and, and I'm kind of dragging, and, and well, let's, it, let's just it, you know, let's it only some, happens
1: when he has a second in command. I will.
2: Yeah, that's right,
3: Exactly. That's right. It's it's yeah. perfectly safe when there's a second pilot.
0: Yeah. Hey Alan, let me ask you about this. Um, a- a- as a co-founder of Cirrus Design, you- you've led an interesting life for a lot of years now, but it seems that over the last six months or so, um, it's been even more interesting than usual, and-, and I'm sure that all the goings on at Cirrus and, and-, and so forth is more complex than we're going to be able to cover in a few minutes here, but can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there, and, and what are your goals personally?
3: Yeah, com- complex and interesting are, are two good words to apply to that. Um, what I'm mainly focused on right now is looking at alternatives for how we can get our Vision Jet finished, certified, in production, delivered to customers who will be then happy, smiling people because they've got the airplane of their dreams. So... As the economy has has obviously kind of fallen apart for a lot of businesses, it's been even worse for aviation. And and I probably should digress just for a moment here to point out that aviation has really been unfairly singled singled out by a lot of the general news media. Aviation is, in fact, good for the economy. We create jobs. We create economic activity. And for aviation to get beat up as you know, the kind of the unnecessary perk or the pointless pollution destroying our environment and preventing our children's children's children from whatever, is just unbelievably unfair. And I don't think as an industry we've done a good enough job of educating those people outside the industry, put another way, fighting back. Yeah. And it's, it's something that we need to do. But, of course, part of the reason we haven't done that is because we all have our heads down trying to struggle through this time. For Cirrus, part of that, obviously, has been a a very difficult struggle with controlling cost in a period of declining sales to make sure that the company survives. Mm -hmm. The the management guys that are doing that day-to-day have been very focused on that and doing a good job of it. What I've been trying to do is say, yeah, but where do we go from here? And for me, that next piece that I believe is is essential is the jet, the vision. Mm -hmm. So the original plan was that Cirrus would be uh, a strong, profitable company churning out a bunch of cash that would help fund it, and that there would be other outside financial sources. Well, clearly with the decline we've seen in production... Although I should also point out that's starting to come back up, and there's some you know good news, good uh, good things on the horizon. I would say from a sales volume point of view, I think the economy is picking up, but it's it's still difficult to maintain the pace that I would like to see on the jet. So what I've done now is spent quite a bit of time this spring and summer exploring the possibilities of finding outside investors. And as you can imagine in this economy, that's not easy either. Mm. <laughs> but I'm optimistic that that's a, a good alternative for the program for the company, uh, kind of that multiple win-win-win for everybody that includes the customers winning by getting their airplane. And, and that's the, the proposal I've been trying to put together and been in discussions with the rest of the Cirrus board about.
1: Yeah, it struck me when uh, the word about this first trickled out that the first uh, response coming out of the Cirrus uh, executive staff in Duluth wasn't to uh, you know uh, shift four steps away from you and hang you out on a pole and go we don't know what this crazy guy's talking about, uh, <laughs> but was rather to, to step up and say you know the important thing is that uh, we've got a program we want to have succeed and we're willing to listen to uh, to. Uh, This is the way message I read it anyway. We're willing to listen to alternative uh, approaches to having that happen. And it sounds like you guys have been pretty creative in some of the uh, scenarios that you've floated.
3: Well, we've been very creative in some of the things we've looked at and ruled out. But uh, but this is certainly one alternative that, yeah. You know, so it turns out that, in fact, the investors that are on Mars have no interest in coming to Earth to invest in airplane projects. I've checked Mars. It's not happening. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. No, but when we, we, we've looked at a lot of alternatives, and, and what we do want to do is make sure that we have one, have an alternative, which is good for Cirrus, good for the shareholders of Cirrus, good for the customers, both the customers of Cirrus and the current airplane, I think that's gotten a little bit lost in the message along the way, um, because this is good for the SR-22 and SR-20 customers as well, and obviously good for the people who are waiting for their jets and have deposits on these airplanes.
1: And how many is that now,
3: approximately? Well, let's call it something in the 375 range. Uh, whenever I've talked about those numbers, I've always tried to be very clear and and I really do mean always, that there would be two numbers that people would want to pay attention to. The first is, what would be the position of the next deposit that someone would place? Mm -hmm. Uh And that was up around 500. But we also made it very clear that that didn't mean we had 500 orders, because I didn't want to have anybody be misled about that. There have been other programs that I thought weren't clear about that or clear enough. So we would always then say, but there's a second number, and that's the number of actual customers who have deposits. And in between, the difference between those two numbers, are positions that we've reserved for uh, demonstrator aircraft, potential fleet orders, and some things like that. And so that, that number had grown up to about 100, which was more than it probably should have been. But I think we were always pretty clear with people about it. And obviously we've seen some cancellations,
1: as as everyone in the industry, I was going to say, you'd a, you
3: you you'd be the odd duck if you hadn't. Well, I've been accused of being an odd duck anyway. But
1: yes,
3: we have, <laughs> <laughs> and that's another
1: story. We know about that's you, Alan. A, uh, yeah, right. right.
2: <laughs> One thing I'd like to go back to, Alan, um, is um, the, the the state of the industry is is um, you know as probably as as good as it can be. I know um, Cirrus has. Uh, brought back some of the the, I don't know what the correct word is furloughed, uh, laid off um, um, downsized, whatever Uh, I know that you've brought back some of the the manufacturing and and support staff that uh, um, earlier in the I don't know earlier in this year, earlier in the recession were were kind of asked not to come in for a while Um, is Cirrus right-sized now Uh, is there still some angst that uh, um, you and your employees need to go through
3: well, I've never been all that comfortable with the term right size because I tend to be an optimist and I believe in economic growth and that corresponding with company growth alongside it. So, no, I don't think we're right sized. I think we're too small for what the industry should be and what Cirrus's piece of that should be someday in the future. But obviously, you know, production took a big hit and there was inventory that had to be burned off, so uh... Yeah. we were down to effectively zero production people for the month of december and very few mm-hmm. in january so the good news is, is that yes people have been being called back to work and production has been increasing are uh... a lot of efficiency
1: gains to what eight or nine a week
3: uh, working on getting towards eight a week but i'm actually okay. not sure if uh, if they're actually at eight yet um, because when you when you take the production out, it is pretty slow putting oh, yeah, it back yeah, in the, as well. Yeah,
1: it's not like stepping on the accelerator. Yeah yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every once in a while, you'll talk to some business consultant who thinks that because he knew how to make some widget for some other company, he understands aviation, and that there can be this <laughs> real quick. Uh, well, you know, you just you just flex production. Well, actually, you don't. You know, that's not right. the way it yeah, works. And there there's there's are very a, long lead times, chain. and yeah, there's a hell of a yeah, supply yeah. chain that's got to be dealt with there. Yeah. And, and fortunately, unfortunately uh, general aviation is a small well, I say general aviation is a small industry we really are all in this together you know from a, mm-hmm. a supplier through final manufacturer customers insurers fbos flight training schools we're all in it together we better be figuring out how to make it work for all of us
2: what can we do to make it better we, we talked earlier or I should say you you mentioned earlier yeah, that we've I, really been taking it short
1: we, we know um, where Alan's going to go with this because this
3: is, this is a
1: long, recurring rub with Alan.
3: Hit it. Man. It, it is yeah. it is very much a long, recurring rub. And, yeah, I could, yeah we could use uh, all the rest of our time talking about that, so we will make sure we come back to the jet uh, at some point. But what, what we really need to do is focus on growing the industry. Now, what does that mean? That's one of those simple, obvious statements. And one of the things that I think we've done wrong as an industry is we focus on – people getting their licenses, how many student pilots there are, as opposed to people learning to use airplanes and participating in the industry. We don't do a good enough job in what almost any business that wasn't all about passion would say, which is customer value. How do we make sure that this really is worthwhile for people? A big part of being worthwhile is transportation. That's clearly not... The only answer, as I said, I you know flying a tail dragger 15 miles to the different grass runway makes me smile, and smile is benefit. So I'm happy with that as well, but we don't do a good enough job focusing on the benefit side. The last question that people should be asking is, how long does it take me to get my license? The first question should all be about... What am I going to do with an airplane? Why am I going to benefit? How am I going to benefit? Thank you. What's it thank going to cost? You. What's it, what's thank it going to look like in the long run?
1: Yeah. Freaking. Thank you. Yeah. What absolutely. Is, you know, one of the more frequent questions asked me in the course of my career. I'm thinking about getting an airplane, or I've learned to fly, and I'm thinking about what do you think I should get? What do you want to do?
2: What right. do you want to what's do?
1: This is yeah. all geared around what do you want to do? Uh, you know, and. There's far too little attention paid to what you can do,
0: right what right. one yeah.
1: airplane can do it's, can't, it can't you know it can be so much more than a recreational tool uh it can be a family travel tool, it can be a business tool, it can be a you know help mankind tool, and all be the same airplane and we we
3: we let that disappear through the grates of the gutter right yeah. and because we don't focus on it we one of the well for the first mistake we make is we assume. That either everybody will love airplanes the way we do, and and I think they will, but I just don't think we ought to start with that assumption, or we assume that if they don't love airplanes, they never will, and they don't deserve to, and somehow we ought to lead them as <laughs> outsiders. Well, what, yeah, they do deserve to be part of ever our look up. Right. Yeah, what, what industry would ever look at potential customers and say, Nah, no thanks, no need to apply? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 we don't but want your time here. <laughs> But because we believe that this is self-evident to anybody who deserves to be a customer, we then focus on the process. So, you know, our first airplane was a 1947 Cessna 140, and I still miss that airplane. I've got a 1948 170, which I enjoy polishing and some of those kinds of crazy things. (laughs) But imagine the world where we said, let's see, we've got somebody who expressed an interest in aviation, Let's bring them out to the airport. Let's take Mm them up in, sorry to pick on Cessna. I just said I love the 140 and the 170. But let's put them in a beat-up Cessna 150. Fly them three Mm -hmm. times around the pattern, show them a stall, scare them, tell them how complicated and expensive it is, and then see if they're willing to come back. That ought to be the last thing they do. You know, everybody's first ride ought Uh to be in a really cool tail dragger or an SR-22, frankly, and show them Uh how they're going to use that airplane. Once they're really hooked, once they're sold, once they get it, then you say, and oh, by the way, I, did I mention that you have to have a license to do this? Oh, yeah, but if I didn't, yeah, you have to have a license. And, and here's a trainer, but this is just a trainer, and let me show you how you're going to get your license. But but this is why you're going to learn to fly.
1: Can, can, you we, just, do it, can you drive a manual yes, transmission? Can
3: you drive a manual transmission? Oh, you can drive a manual
1: transmission? You can learn to fly. <laughs> exactly. You know, Absolutely. Both hands and both feet. You can mm-hmm. do this.
0: Yeah, you can do yeah. it. Yep.
3: Okay. Yep. Flying flying is not that hard. That's right. That's right. The consequences of screwing up are kind of bad. Yeah,
0: I wanted to go back quickly and talk for just one more moment about the jet. Um, putting aside for a moment um, the financial and economic challenges um, that are around that program, what's the latest on the engineering portion of that program? Where is where is the uh, the aircraft in terms of its uh, design and and getting ready for manufacture?
3: Uh, multiple part question. Uh, starting with just the basic design, we're we're really comfortable with the way that's turning out. We we think that that the market niche we're shooting for is the right one, and we think that the airplane as designed will hit that market niche and are really happy with it. One of the things that I routinely tell people when I'm talking to them, though, is that the purpose of a flight test program is to find out what's wrong, and not having found it yet is not the same as not having it.
0: <laughs> so at this point,
3: flight test is going really, really well. <laughs> Uh, but there, you know, there will be things that we'll find that need to be changed and tweaked, and and uh, there's been some of that already. And you know, if if uh, if engineering were just a game, it would be a blast, wouldn't it? Be fun to say we don't care if we ever get it done. Let's just keep working on it forever because it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, this doesn't is fit such, the economic reality. But, uh, this is such a but, huge. It, but it really is. Yeah, but it really is, So it's come along very well from uh, an engineering point of view. Very, very beginning on the manufacturing, the detailed manufacturing process. Look, so that's part of what all the money gets spent on, coming up in the future. But feel good about the concepts, uh, the the plan. Obviously, Cirrus has delivered 4,500 airplanes or so. We know yeah. how to build airplanes. We know how to design airplanes that can mm-hmm. be built. Uh, we're not we're not trying to invent anything. There's no. You know, and you're magic not you're silver not anymore. We're not rookies. Right? We're not yeah. rookies, and we and we've been beat up enough along the way that we know what not to try in the beginning. <laughs> so, which is just as um, important. It's very, very important. Yeah. So we feel you know really good about the the airplane. What certainly what I don't feel good about is the pace. We don't we don't have as many people working on it. As the plan says we should, and if you don't have as many people working on it, you can't get it done as quickly. And because I, I really do believe this will be a very, very successful airplane for lots of reasons and lots of constituents. And the answer is, let's figure out how to get it done faster. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hey, let
3: me. This begs. This begs the question
1: that. Kind of dovetails to some stuff I've been chasing the last couple of weeks. Do you feel like the pace is lagging to the point that it's going to trail a market comeback? Uh,
3: if you mean economic market, yes, I do. Um, and yeah, that's the market I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I think that, um, you know, I, I, I'm very frustrated when I listen to. Uh, you know, business news show about what people think they know about economics and business activity. (laughs) So much of it is based upon consumer confidence or individual decisions that you can't possibly know six months out. So when people say, I don't know, I think it's going to be a long recession, you know, my view is, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You might be right, but... That won't That'll be because be an accident. you were right, Is because you... Yeah. That'll be an accident, um, right. And if we all accepted that there was a lot more uncertainty to these things, we'd all get a little bit less upset when negative things happen. It's about you know, where we're at in the cycle. Yeah. A bunch of things went wrong. We're working at fixing a bunch of things in the economy. How do we best do that? Everybody get on with their lives. Mm-hmm. And because I think that that does become a reality and can snowball more quickly yeah I would I would love to see this airplane be ready to go to the market in a year and a half instead of three years
1: mm-hmm. yeah. but okay. yeah it makes a lot of sense I, yeah. I, I interviewed a gentleman for a, a a piece for one of my clients earlier this week and we were talking about a, a, a research report that he'd uh, delivered earlier in the month That said, basically, don't look for 2008 business jet deliveries to even return in the next 10 years. The market will bottom out. It'll start to grow back again. But we won't hit 1,300-plus business jets again until beyond 2018. Hmm. Wow. uh, And he had some really conservative underpinnings to his argument. Uh, But... His argument his his calculus didn't take in the category of airplanes that you're talking about with the the vision, because in right. his mind, it doesn 't exist yet right you know uh, that okay. market, that market's not there yet because there's no airplanes there yet
3: yeah, yeah. right yeah. as, as uh, so we talk to potential investors as we talk to potential investors about our jet, we we kind of describe the market in several different ways. First of all, obviously we believe that because it's being designed for very easy operation, you know, simple pilot vehicle interface, that it will be a natural step-up airplane for people that are already flying high-performance pistons. Mm -hmm. But what it will also be is a replacement for people who are flying twin-engine airplanes, and particularly pressurized piston twins, which aren't produced any longer and have some, you know, growing economic issues when it comes to parts and maintenance. What I think we'll also see in the future is Yes, that this will replace some people's um, view of business jets, but I think in an additive sort of way, it might be some replacement in the beginning. But I do believe in the natural evolution of more uh, migration, I should say, of people up the the uh, the food chain, and I think that this jet will create a lot of customers that will then move up and buy CJs and Phenoms and you know uh, Premiers and down. eventually up to Gulfstreams. So. Well, this, this so, the real saying... question about growth is about demographics. And if you look at it from a demographic point of view, as opposed to how many people operated airplanes last year or how many people did anything last year, the question is how many people need transportation? Yeah, what kind yeah. of distances? What are their alternatives? Well, if you look at the number of people, you've got a, I believe it's its pretty easy to argue, you've got a clear, demonstrated benefit that general aviation and business jets in particular have for the economy. Mostly in North America, you're seeing more and more of that in Europe. They're seeing that benefit. You will mm-hmm. obviously see more of that in South America, in India, in China, in the rest of Southeast Asia, in Russia, in Africa. You know, it it just makes sense as an alternative. It won't be for everybody, but it will be for a lot more people. So when you combine the economics and the new demographics of all these additional people, I don't see how you can come to a conclusion that says the market doesn't grow. Yeah. Unless you mm-hmm. believe right. that somehow airlines or some other kind of ground transportation, or and I love this one, that somehow the Internet is going to replace the need for transportation.
1: Hmm. I don't think <laughs> so. <I always laughs> <like that>. no. <laughs> no. Yeah, 30 years no. ago, it was teleconferencing. Well, my, right. My, right. yep my my analyst was pointing out to me uh in our in our uh, visit earlier this week that two of the categories that have not suffered hugely in the downturn in business jet sales have been categories of airplanes where the predominant customer is not a corporation uh it's not a uh, an owner flown company uh it's a high net worth individual who's writing a check for transportation mm-hmm and he pointed out specifically the very light jet segment, represented by the the, the Embraer Phenom and a Citation Mustang, and uh, the uh, the Gulfstream Big Falcon segments, where the predominant customer in the in the, uh, the 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 large global jet, where the predominant customer is somebody that's got the money to have an airliner on standby.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
1: And yeah. those, yep. those they, programs they are not taking want transportation. big hits. Yeah, they're not yeah, right. taking big hits. And he says, you know, if there was something farther down scale for some of these for on the lower end of it, he said he had no doubt that they would be faring pretty well right now, too, because if the people got the money to write a check for a Mustang or a Phenom, uh, the money to write a check for an airplane like the Vision is a given. They could write a check for a couple of them. Uh, right. then the question and, is getting them into the getting them into the bracket to recognize that this is as good a transportation as the other stuff
3: exactly so now when you think about this broad broad based uh, pyramid of potential customers what really feeds people in is again customer value as driven by new technology new designs new benefits whether it's PFDs or data link weather or more comfortable more capable airplanes That brings in some number of people that otherwise weren't considering general aviation. We've made it easier. We've made it more comfortable. We've made it safer. We've made it faster. The the vision, and and frankly, the Diamond Jet and others as well, do the same thing and then helping move people up. And it becomes now kind of that aspirational point that brings more people into the industry underneath, good for the industry, and moves them up to higher capability airplanes on the way out, good for the industry. We need Mm -hmm. new designs. Yeah, but You guys yeah. have proven
1: the you know, the uh, SR-22 G3 with the perspective as at a price point now that's very familiar to anybody that's looked at a beach bonanza. Yeah. Clearly, people recognize a difference in the performance and the capabilities and say, I don't mind spending that money if I can do it. And you guys get more of the new bodies in aviation than the other guys do, and you sell a hell of a lot right. more examples.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, Alan, yeah, before... I, I uh... has brought a lot of new people into the industry.
0: Yeah, Alan. Before uh, before we reach the end of our allotted time, and before your cell phone battery finally gives out on you here, I wanted to uh, kind of change directions just for a few minutes. Anyways, you've alluded a couple times uh, talking to us just now about um, other aircraft that uh, you've flown and loved over the years. Um, I-, I wondered if you'd be willing to share with us. You know, w- you know. And I think one of the things that's particularly interesting about you is that you are a bona fide GA pilot with many thousands of hours. Um, a-, a lot of a lot of flying. Experience there.
1: An unrepentant uh, devotee. Yeah, that's
0: right. Could share with us share with us, if you would, what have been your second, third, and fourth favorite airplanes over the years.
3: Uh ooh, boy, it's, it's a big list. I love almost all airplanes. Um you know, when it when it comes to just my, my view of the world, and I'm a history buff and all that, you know, the, the top of my list would be a Spitfire, just because I mm-hmm. think it's both a great flying airplane and elegant looking and critical in history for it, the role it played in World War II.
1: Absolutely.
3: Uh, so a Spit Spitfire would be on my list. I I love little old taildraggers. I've got have one Chipmunk that's oh, still got cool. the old original gypsy major engine in it, um, which is kind of Warbird and kind of antique and... Kind of just classic tail dragger and you know beautiful handling characteristics. A station air Cessna 206 on amphibious floats. My uncle had <laughs> one for I don't know 25 years, and so I've always just loved the idea of disappearing into the North Woods with a float plane. Um, you know, I, I, there are just so many airplanes that I love. What what I think uh, tends to um, be a part of all of them, though, are I love simplicity. And frankly, I, I look at a Spitfire and say, for a warbird, it's a pretty simple airplane to fly. Nice, yeah, yeah. nice handling. Um, I, I'm particularly, as I've grown older, uh, and I'm really old now. I'm fifty. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing uh, things that are uh, right, too don't, complicated. Don't, don't go there, Alan. Don't go there. Well, no, I know there's there's some people that are around that are really old and older than fifty. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I love I love good handling characteristics. I love simple airplanes. Um, you know, never, never really felt like I needed to go get checked out in a Gulfstream or something like that. It's probably more than I could handle.
0: <laughs> Continuing on the thought of you know, kind of simple airplanes you've flown. What airplane did you learn to fly in? What was your first airplane?
3: I learned to fly with the Civil Air Patrol in a Cessna 172. The first airplane our family owned then was a 1960 182, so a straight back swept tail 182. And then the first airplane that my brother and I owned was a 1947 Cessna 140. Hmm. So those are you know, kind of the early days were all Cessnas.
1: Is my memory right here? Didn't you do a little hang gliding in the early days?
3: No. No, I didn't. No? Uh, I flown some ultralights and enjoyed that, particularly an ultralight on floats. But nope, uh, not hang gliding. That would have been the, the other part of the parachute connection here. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's where I was thinking. Right. Yeah, Boris Popoff, who who came up with kind of the practical approach to parachutes on airframes, that they they've been done since the 1920s and 1930s. But Boris founded BRS after having hang glider uh, structural failure. And on the way down, deciding that a parachute would be a really good thing to have.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nothing focuses the mind like that's a right. pending execution.
3: Yeah. yeah,
1: that's that's just where you want to be engineering a new product
3: line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it, it, but it, it really does focus the mind, right? I've had a lot of things go wrong in various kinds of <laughs> flight tests or other things, and and they do change your perspective about what's what's important. You take data link weather, for example. Flying an airplane now, and flying cross-country in an airplane, I, I don't go cross-country in the Chipmunk or the 170, uh, flying cross-country without data-link weather feels blind to me. It does. You know, it you're does. you're, you're yeah. flying along in the haze and you have no idea where those thunderstorms are, and you think about how much that simple change makes to both the relaxation and the, the utility of flying. It's amazing how we used to do it, you know, 20 years ago and 30 years ago. and. Yeah, You well, know,
1: we've gotten a long, long way on Mark II eyeball systems.
3: Yep. yep. Well,
2: we have and we haven't. There's... You know, there's a lot of sheet metal out in the woods from people who didn't didn't make it I, with the I'm, Mark I. I'm not 100. saying we
1: did well. I'm just saying that we've come a long way on Mark II eyeball systems, and it's it's <laughs> nice that now we have you know collision yeah. and, and traffic alert systems, and ground procs, and and multifunction displays, and GPS, and all that. But there's still that argument that uh, you need to be able to stick your eyeballs out the window in case all else fails.
3: Yeah. And yeah. you do, but think back now, and here's the way I think of data link weather. To me, the, the contrast is not just how much more do I know while I'm flying, what would the flight be like without it, but think how many times you didn't make the flight. I and mean, I remember sitting on the ground waiting because I'd talked to flight service and they'd said there was a line of severe thunderstorms, you know, 100 miles either side of a line between two places I'd never heard of, and you sit on the ground waiting. Right. And it never happened. As opposed to, and it either never it either never happens, or there were great big holes around it, and that it wouldn't. That, that the bad weather that, that was out there, and people shouldn't be going flying in the thunderstorms. And and we fly had around them. Anti- <laughs> we've yeah. had
1: the antithesis of that, where they said, "Oh, that stuff's not supposed to happen until hours after you get on the ground." Yeah. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. you're 150 miles out from your destination, and you're looking at level four weather. Ahead of you in level four weather behind you trying to say, I've never tried to flip a coin in an aircraft that was inverted. I wonder if it worked. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Alan, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your really very busy much. schedule uh, yeah. to talk with us. It's really fascinating, um, and we, uh, we're we big fans of the jet program. We wish you the very, very best in uh, in trying to work this thing out, and I, I, I'm kind of confident that you will work the it out. Fan
1: but, uh, of, I was oh. a big fan of the VK-30, but that's another
0: story. <laughs> so we're going to let yeah, you
3: take go. Yeah, off the deck. It looks like a jet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we're going to let you go, but first, is there anything else going on in your world that we didn't ask you about that you wanted to tell us about, or... Uh,
3: uh, no, probably things that we could talk about for hours, so I'd love to come back and uh, chat with you again sometime. But basically, thanks for spreading the word about the wonders of general aviation. We need to, we need to have more people out there talking about it.
0: Absolutely, and I hope we're going to have a chance you. to see you face-to-face in a couple of weeks in Oshkosh. We'd love to do that. Uh, yep,
3: look,
1: we, looking forward to Oshkosh. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, o- a yeah, line in kugels or too, when we get up there. All,
0: all right. right. It's a deal. Yeah, except
3: I never learned to like beer, but I'll have a Diet Coke while you have the beer. <laughs> so okay. I'll have a margarita.
0: <laughs> Dave can drink enough beer for all four of us, so we're all set. I'll have okay. a margarita with you. How's that? All right? right. All right. Thank you, Alan. Thanks. Good night.
3: Thanks very much.
0: Shout-outs. Um, I think there's only a couple on our list here. David, do uh, you want to talk to us a little bit about uh, Homer Kolb?
1: Oh, do I ever. Homer Kolb, absolutely one of the most... Uh, sincere and genuine human beings I've ever known. And anybody that's ever heard the term a human being in the Native American sense uh, knows that it was a genuine person with no ill will, no bad bones, and always willing to do his part for the community. And uh, 30 years ago, Homer, who was a United Parcel Service delivery driver out of uh, Pennsylvania, started working on his own design for a small single-seat built-it-at-home airplane that turned into a minor phenomenon and in a significant phenomenon in the ultralight business starting about nineteen eighty homer passed uh... just a, uh... just a few days ago uh... he was long since gone from the company that bears his name air aircraft which is still around Still produces some kick-ass little airplanes. Uh, Homer was one of the early encounters in my aviation career. And at a time when most of the other encounters I'd had were with people of significant finances and even more significant egos. Homer was an absolute mystery to me. He didn't have a big ego. He didn't have a big budget. He hadn't even turned his airplane company into his sole source of support. Uh, it was his life's work, his life's pride. But not everything in him was wrapped around that. His family was first. His community was next. His flying was next behind that. And he gave the community some extraordinary little airplanes that will survive long past him. Uh and it kind of breaks my heart knowing that i'm not going to bump into homer at oshkosh this year
0: Mm. yeah Homer, homer
1: had long since stopped being a regular but he would show up periodically every two or three years at sun and fun or oshkosh standing off to the side not involved with anything just another one of the civilians and uh The community, the industry is better for it, and he will be missed. He was a hell of a contribution, a hell of a human being. Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Uh, let's see now, um, reading from, uh, this is a shout-out, I'll, I'll begin, and, and Dave and Jeb may add to it, um, reading from a story in AOPA Online, uh, President Barack Obama on July 1st signed a bill to award the, the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, WASPs, uh, the Congressional Gold Medal of Honor. The WASP, the first group of women to fly military aircraft to the United States, reported for duty more than three decades before women in the United States were allowed to attend military pilot training with full military status. President Obama said the women's Air Force service pilots courageously answered their country's call in a time of need when blazing a trail for the brave women who would have given and continue to give so much in service to this nation since. Every American should be grateful for their service, and I am honored to sign this bill and finally give them some of the hard-earned recognition they deserve. I couldn't agree more. So uh, thank you to, to them for that. Uh, Dave uh, you're the one that posted this any particular uh, thoughts you want to add to that?
1: It's been my pleasure to meet a number of uh, women aviators uh who served as wasp over the years. Uh the ones that I've met were the exceptions to the group who found a a, a way to continue uh aviation as their career, their avocation. Uh remarkable group of women they got Little credit and little respect from the public at large, but from their peers, uh, it was known. They flew everything from production flight tests to ferrying aircraft across the pond. Uh, Some of them died in the line of duty. And uh, like some of our other non-typical service people from World War II, they were kind of ignored and and, and and forgotten in the years after the war ended. So in my mind, for the 1,102 WASP pilots who flew for the military during World War II, this is recognition way, way past due. Yeah. My hat's off to all of them. They were true pioneers. They were true patriots. They sacrificed for the country. They served a the country. These were true heroes. Yeah.
0: Congratulations. Very, very good.
2: There's uh, uh, some, some photos of the uh, ceremony or the, the uh, August meeting ceremony event in the Oval Office out there that uh, are very good. There was one of them uh, uh, where the, the group of wasps are standing around the, the president's desk in the Oval Office. Oh, here it is. right I found it. Um, uh, with current female Air Force pilots behind them. And everybody's laughing and smiling, and it's, it's just a great shot.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, uh, really I'll is. see if
2: I can find that. So uh, it's a White House photo. So if it's probably on the White House website.
1: Yeah. Well, That's there's great. a link. Yeah, there's a link uh, in the uh, AOPA story to that photograph. So.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay,
0: great. Good. Any
2: other shoutouts? Um, just one, real quick. Um, uh, um, FAA needs to get its act together on charting. We'll we'll talk about this in a subsequent episode.
1: Oh um, boy, will we.
2: Um, they've, they're trying to cut back on the number of outlets for sectionals and instrument plates and instrument charts um, by upping the uh, minimum uh, purchase requirement. Uh, this week, um, in trying to get my act together to take on the road to Oshkosh, I, call, I go to the, the FAA charting website. I want to get a one-time purchase of the Instrument Approach Procedures DVD, to load up on my Q1 so I've got all my charts. Mm-hmm. And because I'm twelve days into the cycle uh, when I call up to try to get this DVD, they won't sell it to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're out of stock, they have no stock, I have to I have to buy a subscription and then wait for like two weeks and then I can only get on D V D the next, next chart cycle. cycle. I can't get the current chart cycle. That's broken, and uh, we're going to talk about that some more. Okay. Good deal. this is a whole this this whole thing is broken right now. We're gonna be talking about that.
1: Okay. I, that and, and I good. felt so badly for having nobody to slap. So
0: <laughs> Yeah. I was like you Yeah, you had nobody to slap. Any which, other shout outs
1: other than CBS, which I didn't slap, I just told they could okay. bite my ass.
0: Definitely time <laughs> to stick a fork in this one. Definitely. Suck out of my nose. Definitely time to stick a fork in this one. We want to thank Alan Klautmeyer for taking some time from his very, very, very busy schedule trying to uh, move aviation into the the next, into the next, up to the next level, I guess you would call it. Um, Alan is, of course, the co-founder of Cirrus Design and currently serving as its chairman of the board. You can learn more about Alan and Cirrus at cirrusaircraft.com. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and is the U.S. editor of London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet?
1: Oh, avbuyer.com, uh, aea.net, dot uh, dot DaveHigdon.biz, or your local post office in the lobby.
0: Yeah. I had
1: new wants and warrants issued only this week in honor of the upcoming Oshkosh warrant. That's Wanda. right.
0: Get Jeb, your note, Tam. Jeb Burnside is uh, is an aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the Internet, Jeb?
2: Oh, all over the place these days. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com happens to be my day job. Uh, I pop up on Avweb uh, now and then, and uh, uh, my personal website is JeBurnside.com. dot com. Um, also, thanks to thanks to uh, Alan Clapmeyer for joining us. Uh, uh, always a pleasure, and uh, always uh, something provocative and and, uh, and thought provoking to say. So I'm uh, happy to have him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And no, don't I'm forget, Jack. opening evening at Oshkosh, we'll be there on the deck of the radio station, AirVenture uh-huh. Radio, PAA Radio. Right.
0: That's right, actually. Come yeah, see uh,
1: us. Come see us.
0: We're going to talk a lot about... We're going to talk a lot about Oshkosh on the next episode, which will be our final yeah. episode before we go out to Oshkosh. Um, but we are going to be doing a couple episodes out there. Um, watch our website. Watch the EA radio website for more information about that. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Hey, I was just looking at the web. They uh, launched the shuttle this afternoon. We've been out here in they Florida did. all week long, yeah. and everybody's been yeah, all excited it about how
1: this afternoon.
0: Everyone's all excited about how if, you're, if the conditions are right, you could actually see the shuttle go from here in Orlando. And so a number of times this week, a, a few of us have kind of found a spot and been disappointed when it got canceled. Then finally today it did go off. I completely missed it. I don't know if you could have seen it from here or not. But,
1: well, did, uh, did you have the e-ticket? No, no. If you no, didn't I, have the e-ticket, you're not
0: allowed yeah, to watch yeah, it uh, Okay.
1: Like, all
2: right. I, I saw a night launch uh, from Sarasota. It wasn't the shuttle, yeah. but it was a night launch in a clear sky from the Cape. And I was quite impressed watching it from the other side of the state. You I could still, still see it.
0: Yeah, still see. Yeah, I, oh, I, I missed it. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Hey, we want to thanks. Uh, we want to send out thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. that Scarf Jet the Forums. cool stuff. Absolutely. We also want to thank uh, the many of our listeners, and particularly Royce Earl and Mike Morgan, for the show opening disclaimer clips that they've been creating for us. Uh, Mike Morgan also created a couple of really nice uh, promos for the podcast that are being run right now on uh, EA Radio uh, and uh, getting people ready for our arrival, good or bad. So uh, thanks to all of them. We're also very grateful for the financial support we re- we receive from our listeners for information. Of listeners on- like you. Yeah, that's right. For I I try to avoid that. That phrase, exactly. Uh, for information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 5 or $10 over the span of a year is a big help to us. And,
1: and, and, don't forget- and, and please help soon before we turn it into the old Aviators Retirement Fund and beg that we need it before we go hobbling off.
0: Don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the forums. You can check out the wiki, uh, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at Uh, uncontrolledairspace.com. David. All right, David. What were you going to say?
1: Wiki. I was going to say live long, fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan.
0: That's right. That's enough talking for this week. That means you
1: can collect Social Security longer if you fly after 62.
0: (laughs) That's enough talking for sure. (laughs) Let's go. Even more
2: incentive. Let's go flying. (laughs) TTFN.